Yeah, wonderful, Matt. Matt's an illustration that habits are not changed easily, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And, uh, you know, Matt mentioned New Year's resolutions and all that kind of stuff. And I was in 24-hour fitness the other day. And I love the New Year's 24-hour fitness crowd. You know, you can tell all the newbies and everyone's there. And when I finished working out, I noticed this couple. They were an elderly couple. And they'd gone through the whole orientation thing. And they sat down and signed the contract and decided, I'm going to become a member of 24-hour fitness and I, I got on the elevator with them, which is an ironic thing, an elevator in a gym, you know, I mean, sort of thing. But you got to find the parking garage. But uh, the, the, the wife said to the husband, so are you going to come tomorrow by yourself? And he said, I don't think so. And I thought, that's it. It's done. The, the guy is not, it's not going to happen for him. And that's how gyms stay in operation, right? You pay the fees and then you don't go. And they reap the benefit of that. But, you know, this time of year, a new year, a new decade, it's, a, it's often a prompting for something new, you know, something better. We want our lives to be better. We want to do better. And, and we actually, we, we, want, we want more of, you know, God. We want more of ourselves. We want more of, of relationships with one another. We just, we want to do it better. But the question is, how do we change? How actually do we change for the better? And that's what I've been wrestling with because I so long for this next decade to be better than the last decade. This is 2020, and it's an opportunity to do something new and to do something better. And you're going to notice in this message this morning that I've been deeply influenced by one of my heroes. His name is Dallas Willard. And I've read his books. They're complex. They're technical. And some people get frustrated, and they kind of give up. But Dallas Willard, I believe is going to be the C.S. Lewis of the 21st century. And we go, oh, no, nobody could be that great as C.S. Lewis. But, you know, a lot of C.S. Lewis's writings didn't get popular and well-read until many years after his death. And a few years ago, Dallas Willard went to be with Jesus. And I remember him saying, you know, I think that when I die, I think I won't even realize that I actually have died and gone to be with Jesus until a few moments after I've been dead. Because my love for Jesus and my intimacy with him has grown so deep while I've walked with him in this life. And I want to be like Dallas. So you'll notice that I've been reading him this year. I've been studying him. And mostly I've been trying to apply what I'm reading in the scriptures through the filter of Dallas's wisdom. He's helping me learn how to be better. But he's addressing how do we as people actually change How does change happen in our lives? Because you know how frustrating it is to do New Year's resolutions or to make promises to yourself and to other people. And with Paul, you say, ah, man, you know, I don't do the things I'm supposed to do, and I do the things I'm not supposed to do, and what do I do? I'm so frustrated with my life. And I'll take this book that Dallas wrote. It's called Divine Conspiracy, and I'll just boil it down to two things. And that is, Dallas Willard says, the change happens, first of all, in your mind, and secondly, in your body. And this morning, I'd like to just talk about our minds. I want to focus on that first part and leave talking about the body for another time. And there's great wisdom from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 24. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, I encourage you to take it out. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's in a paper Bible. And uh, like the ancient church, you may listen to me read it, and that is very appropriate and works well. And I think in this text that the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus said, 
There's a place in Matthew 7.24 where essentially Jesus says that the wise person is the person who hears what Jesus says and then actually does it. They build their house on the rock and they do what Jesus says. But I ask the question, how? How do I do it? You can't just yell at me more and make me do it. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, that great commission that we all lean into, that discipleship is learning to obey everything Jesus commanded. But I ask the question, how do I obey everything Jesus commanded? How how does it work? You can't just tell me to obey Jesus because I don't do that. Well, I think because Jesus said that, the wise person builds their house on the rock and does what Jesus says. And the disciple is one who is learning how to obey everything that Jesus commanded. I believe Jesus said it because he knows it can be true. It actually can be true in our lives that we can progressively grow in a relationship with Jesus that we do what he commands us to do. So let's turn to what Paul says about this all in Ephesians 4 and verse 17. And I want you to notice, pay attention to the progression in Paul's development of his idea. And I have some fill in the blanks on your outline. I don't normally do fill in the blanks, but I remember when I was a high school pastor that the high school students, they would try to guess what would go in the blank before I said it. So a little competition, you see what you can do with that. Uh, Never mind. I'm going to give it to you right now. Here's the progression. Pay attention to this. Paul says, stupid thinking leads to hardened hearts, which then develops into increasing impurity. Let's look at how he develops it. Verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. How? In the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and... As a result, separated from the life of God. Why? It's because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Did you see that? Stupid thinking leads to hardened hearts, and hardened hearts eventually leads to... uh, Increasing impurity. And Paul uses words like futility and darkened and ignorance. You know, one of the things that Dallas Willard says is what we think about forms our beliefs. Now, now, now just reflect on that for a minute. What we think about forms our beliefs. Beliefs are not what we declare. Beliefs are what we do. Now, we can say contra Matt Engel... I don't want to eat donuts anymore. In fact, I believe, I believe that donuts are not good for my arteries. I believe that. But we eat donuts, right? See, we say we believe it, but we actually don't believe it. What we believe is that, well, okay, it's, a, it's all right if once in a while I eat a donut. I'll fudge, maybe God will forgive me and not affect my health. So keep that in mind. Because Paul says that stupid thinking keeps a person separated from the life of God. What happens up here is having an effect on this relationship with God. And I just want to declare again, 
along with what Jasmine said, there are times when we sing these worship songs, and you know, we, 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 we want to believe they're true. And sometimes being in a community where we declare them out loud while at the same time inside, we wonder if they're really true. I want to remind you that God is a really good God. God is a good God. And you are his child. You are God's beloved son and beloved daughter. That is a reality. And you're welcomed into his life. You are welcomed into a life with God. And God will continue to convince you that this is a perfectly safe place for you to be and you to live. But unfortunately, our thinking gets away with us. And that leads to a hardened heart. The lies that build up. Hardened hearts. To be hard, is, it's you know, petrified wood. It's the repeated pressure over a long period of time, and this soft wood becomes hard as rock. Or in the summertime, you're barefoot, and you develop calluses on your feet, and you now no longer can feel the nail that you've stepped on on the ground. We lose sensitivity to what actually is true and what is real and what is actually going on around us. And it impacts our desire and our ability to know and respond and to relate to God. Much unbelief in God is due to what we think about our experiences in the world around us. And it leads to a hardening of our heart, a callousness or anger or cynicism about the world. So it's the result of a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over repeated opportunities for us to turn away from God and to fill our mind with other things that are opposed to God. And that stupid thinking that leads to hardened hearts, eventually it can open the door to increasing impurity, Paul says. Notice what he comments on in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity this hardening of the heart. They eventually give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. A separation from the life of God can lead to all sorts of problems, a lot of problems. So Paul says, don't live like this any longer, and then I think he gives us a pathway to freedom and to new power in this text. Don't live like this any longer. So here's, I guess, kind of the big idea that I've been wrestling with in this whole process. We as Christians tend to focus more and perseverate on the end of the progression rather than the beginning. And I want to suggest this morning, as we move into this new year and new decade, we need to come back to the beginning and not the end because we we find it very easy to focus on increasing impurity. And in fact, we can point it out everywhere and begin to worry about the world and we can begin to talk about us versus them and we can huddle in our little holy huddles and, 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 and we do that in our parenting as well at times where we're just so afraid of all of the impurities in the world and we don't want our kids to step into that. 
I'm going to suggest that we need to start the beginning of the progression rather than just the end. We tend to manage impurity rather than revolutionizing our thinking. And I think Paul is going to show us how. We tend to focus on the outside, the externals, rather than the inside of what's actually happening deep inside of us. And it is a mistake. In fact, Dallas Willard calls this sin management. And it's much of Christianity today. Just managing sin. And if you've done that sort of Christian life, you know that it's futile. It just doesn't work. It's frustrating. It's so difficult. Rather than sin management, what Paul is suggesting is that we ask ourselves the question, what kind of a person do I want to be? What do I want my future to be? What kind of a person do I want to live into this world? What kind of a person do I want to offer to this world? What kind of a person might Jesus want to make out of me? And that, it starts inside. And Paul is suggesting that our minds, our brains, what we choose to think about is such a strategic, it's not the whole story, but it's such a strategic part of that. So let's see what Paul says. Look at verse 20. Paul um, says, uh, verse um, 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, this is not religion. This is Christ. This is him taught in him. The truth that is in Jesus. Really, I want to suggest this is the school of Christ. This is entering as a student the school of Christ, letting Jesus be our teacher. You know, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is merely a learner of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus. So we allow Jesus to teach us and to shape us. And Paul says as he planted churches, that this is, this is what we taught you. We taught you about Jesus. We taught you how to know Jesus, how to give your life to Jesus, how to be formed by Jesus. And here's the curriculum in verse 22. Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, verse 22, to put off your old self, Paul says. Put off your old self. And then look at verse 24. To put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus, our teacher, will teach us to take on the character of God. And we learn it through Jesus, through him. This is about change. This is about transformation. This is about becoming a better person. It's about becoming more of who God has designed you to be, and eliminating all that stuff, those chains, those barriers, those habits that keep tripping us up and hold us down. It's about character development. It's essentially, it is Christ-likeness. That's the journey we're, we're on. That's what this is about. It's becoming more like Christ. Now, here's the analogy Paul is using. He's using this idea of, of take off old clothes, put on new clothes. So let's say 
that um, yesterday you got up and went for a good long run and then you had to paint the bathroom so you put on your painting clothes you know, you're kind of sweaty but you painted the bathroom and then you thought oh you know I'm all dirty might as well clean the bathroom and you get in there scrub the shower and get underneath the toilet and scrub that all clean and they go oh yeah I remember I'm going to a wedding tonight and you got in your car and started driving to the wedding I mean, that would be foolish, right? To drive to the wedding in those clothes that you've just made all stinky. Paul says, take them off. Take those clothes off and put new clothes on to go to the wedding. Now, the problem is what we do is what we often in sort of our understanding is that we leave the old clothes on and we just go get these new nice clothes for the wedding and we put them on over the old clothes. We show up at the wedding and people are like, "Um, there's a problem here right now. And so what this looks like, I have this on your outline, we reduce the life of Christ to a salvation prayer. Now, the reality is, many of you can remember a point in time where you said yes to Jesus, and you gave your life to Jesus and surrendered to him. Now, we have to pray that prayer over and over again, but that prayer is so important. But sometimes in our understanding of the Christian faith, we think that's it. And we do that. We do that a lot in youth ministry. We do that a lot at camps where we want to get people to pray the prayer of salvation. And then that's it. We use Jesus as a ticket for salvation. And we surrender our lives to him. And we need that salvation. There is no salvation apart from Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection. But then what we do is we leave Jesus there and then we move on with our life and we get into sin management and we essentially worship and follow the Jesus that was there in the Bible, forgetting the fact that he is very much alive and in charge today. We worship a risen, alive Jesus who is leading us and guiding us right this very moment and will help us along the way. But the other thing that we do is we we sort of get caught in declaring proper beliefs. Christians are really big about doctrine and about having the right beliefs. And that is so important. That's why we go to the scriptures. It's our authority and we teach and we look at the the scriptures and what we believe. We care about truth. But the problem is, is sometimes what we do is we we get tripped up in thinking that if we declare something as true, that's the same as us actually living it. And one of the sneaky things that happens when we end up too much on becoming right, is we can slip into legalism and turn this into a bunch of rules and turn it into a head trip of just getting the right answers. And oftentimes that will have no impact on how a person loves their neighbor or gets involved in the world. So we have to be really careful of that. But the other thing that we do is we play dress up. We put the good clothes on when appropriate because we feel pressure. And you know what that does? That can end up causing us to hide from one another. And we put on the clothes. And I mean, those of you with small children, you know the drill. Getting here on Sunday morning is one of the most difficult things you do all week. And it is, you know, a fight. You wake up, you get them dressed, get them fed. And you, you're, you're coming here. And, you know, those of us without young children, we're like, you know, where, where, you know. and the deal is, is you're in the car and you want to come and worship Jesus, and you're having the worst fight of the week with your wife, your husband. And, and sometimes, you know, well, okay, now we walk in the door, and we got to, you know, we got we to look the, the part. And we're a mess, right? So we can end up kind of hiding. But none of these things lead to real change. So here's, here's kind of movement towards Paul's solution. 
Notice verse 23. And it's tucked in there between verse 22 and uh, uh, between 22 and verse 24 that I read. Paul says, you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Think of that. What is is my current attitude in my mind right now? What is the, the state? You know, today people call that mindfulness. You know, being aware. What, what is actually going on inside of me right now in this moment? Be made new in the attitude of our mind. Somehow Paul is telling us that newness can come through what's happening in our minds. It's very similar to what Paul says in a much more familiar passage in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's what we're talking about, the renewal of of our mind. Now, Paul spends the rest of the letter of Ephesians telling us what to put on and what to put off. But that's not my focus in the sermon right now. Again, many people go to the end of Ephesians and point out everything Paul tells us to put off. That's not the way to go. Just start at the beginning. How do we change? And this is the place I think Paul is telling us to start. Don't Target your actions, transform your beliefs. In Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's what we want. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want the thoughts and emotions and meditations and intentions of Jesus to to become our own. And I like this. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about such things. Fill your mind with the things that are beautiful and right and pure and excellent. And you know that to live in our world today, we can be bombarded with so much ugliness. It has a debilitating effect on us. I want to learn to love what is lovely. That's Paul's invitation. To us. Again, Dallas Willard says this what occupies the mind mostly governs what we actually do. Now, I feel like that's a scientific statement that is beyond my pay grade, but it's compelling to me. What occupies the mind mostly governs what we actually do. Now, I would encourage you to put that to the test. Maybe even you can reflect on what happens in your life where things start in your brain and they work themselves out into your behavior. In fact, N.T. Wright, he says this, evil 
is what you get when the mind is twisted out of shape and the body goes along for the ride. Yeah, that's pretty wise. When the mind gets twisted out of shape, I don't want to do that. And then we begin to fantasize. We begin to imagine. And that grips us in our minds. And maybe there's discouragement or frustration or anxiety in our lives. And that just kind of feeds into that narrative that's happening in our minds. And we don't want to do this. We don't want to go down that path again. But our body is a willing partner. Once our brain kind of grabs hold of an idea. In Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast because they trust in you. I want to be in perfect peace in my position or attitude or altitude within this planet, in this culture, in my calling. I want to be in perfect peace. And the scriptures seem to indicate as I trust in you, trusting in God with the choice of what I choose to put my attention, my mind, my thoughts to. So I want to just take a few minutes and um, share with you a bit of what I've been working on maybe most of my life, um, some practices to try to put this into place and Believe me, uh, there are no formulas. There's no, hey, do these three things and magic will happen. It just doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. Our bodies don't work that way. But here's some things that I've been doing, and uh, each of us has to decide on our own plan. We all have unique personalities and inclinations, so please, just hear me saying some things I've been doing, and uh, maybe something will resonate with you. And I will not cover many of the things that you do that really work for you. And so this is not an exhaustive list. But it was really easy to talk about the first one at the beach because we were in an incredibly beautiful place and location. And I think we need to start with God, our Heavenly Father, who is the majestic creator of everything that exists. And to remind ourselves of that of the magnificent beauty of the creation and how important it is for me to be outside and in creation, near the ocean, on the ocean, under the ocean, in the trees, in the forest, up in the trees, to be on my bike and to ride around the peninsula and just say, God, never let me take this beauty for granted. This is amazing. And then not only to appreciate the beauty, but to think about how creation is just screaming out at us their worship of God. And just think of the, the, the incredible creativity that's in our body and what God has put in us and out in nature and to see how things grow and reproduce. And the sun rises and sets every day and I have nothing to do with that. And the waves come on the shore, the tides come in and the tides go out. And I sleep away and God continues to hold creation in his hand. And he holds it all together and makes it continue to happen. That's a starting place. It's to fill our minds with the the wonder of God as our creator. Another place for me, and this is really difficult for me. Well, half of it's difficult. Silence and solitude. Now, as an introvert, I don't have a problem with being alone. And I don't even have a problem with being silent. But what I do is I fill that with a book or reading or a podcast or music. I fill it. 
And you know, being alone and then being completely silent, and I mean no external noises that you're holding or bringing into yours. You know, for many people, being completely silent with no content coming in is terrifying. And to be comfortable engaging God alone and listening to God and talking to God about the condition of your mind and your heart and your soul. And so even going to the Esplanade and sitting on a bench or doing a hike on one of the trails in the peninsula or on vacation, just even a few moments of being alone in nature and being quiet before God is a place where he can begin to restore us because we fill our lives with so much noise. Then there's reading, and I love reading. I love books. Um, But I want to start with the Bible. This book is such a gift to us. It is God's revelation to us. It's God's introducing us to him and what's important and priorities and and, and what life is all about, and the story of his unrelenting pursuit of us. And I, I want to say, without coming across um, guilt-producing, I just don't think it's possible for us to move toward God without some sort of a regular relationship with this book. And I don't know how, how you do it. There are so many ways and there's so many helps. But I just want to suggest one thing. You know, we, te- taught, we teach from the scriptures. We love the scriptures. And we want our teaching to be in alignment with the scriptures. And if it ever isn't, you come and punch us in the face. Warn us first. But I want to suggest that we need a relationship with scripture that is not related completely to a sermon on Sunday morning at the river. Or a podcast we listen to, because we may have all our favorite podcasts and our favorite celebrity preachers and people that we love, and we listen to those, and they're fantastic. They're such gifted communicators. Or we may, you know, have a devotional book that we read, that we read a little verse, and then we read what someone else has written in a devotional. I want to suggest that we need a relationship with the scriptures where we allow the English text to sit before us, and we read it, and we let the Holy Spirit engage us personally with that. Now, I hope our teaching, I hope the podcast we listen to, the books that we, I hope that helps us to understand the scripture, right? But we got to start with the word of God and us and the Holy Spirit because he will teach you and he will guide you. Now, I mentioned books. I want to suggest the great books. And a lot of people have stopped reading I want to suggest that there are such wonderfully deep, good books. And if you ever need a reading list, Todd, my, we are more than willing to tell you, man, you've got to read this book because we devour books. But I want to suggest that what I've been doing with Dallas Willard is not just reading Dallas. I've been studying it. And I've been saying, am I going to live this? How do I apply this? But let the good books, the great books, fill your mind. Dead people are wonderful teachers. And the great books have lasted a long, long time. And someone said, don't read a lot of books. Read the really good ones and read them over and over and over. Now, beauty, art, film, and music. 
There's a part of us where God just opens us up when we allow beauty to invade our souls and our eyes through great art and through film. God speaks to us through film and filmmakers often have no idea that God is using that to just touch something deep, deep inside of us. Now, there's a lot of garbage. We have to be careful of that. And music, the power of music. And speaking of music, worship music. I mean, what Jasmine and, our, and Jacob, our worship team, what they bring to us, this, they are so good. I mean, you watch Godwin. Godwin is so good. This band is a gift to us. And you know what we've been doing? We've been putting, I don't know if you noticed it, on the blurb, we've been putting a link to the Spotify playlist. Now, I listen to the first song, and then I get an ad because I don't have a paid subscription. So I, I take all the songs I listen to on Apple Music because that's my... But I'll tell you what, I've been listening to these songs. I listened to every one of these songs. And I didn't listen to these songs because I was going to sing in a corporate. I listened to these songs as, as a follower of Jesus, and I let them... Speak to my heart. I listen, and, and it was moving to me. And then I come here, and Jasmine leads us. It makes those songs so different and rich and deep. Such a gift. Worship music, whether you listen in the car with your earbuds or, or you know, it, it, it's, it's a powerful thing. Not when we just listen to it as background, like top 40 music. When we allow it, maybe in those moments of silence and solitude, to let it minister deep in our hearts, it is changing me. And then I have to say, um, the, for me, the disciplined and mindful use of my phone has been a huge factor in my mind being available to God. And I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, the use of social media or news feeds, you can start and you can start scrolling, and you could go, oh my goodness, an hour and 10 minutes just passed. Where have I been? What tunnel did I go down? Because it just, by design, it can take us to the next, to the next, to the next. And it oftentimes is toxic for our minds. So I have to be intentional. And I love technology. I'm like, I wanna, I'm an early adopter on everything. I want to be up to date. But I've had to be very disciplined and to pull back and to think, why am I doing this? And what, how am I using the phone? But maybe more important, how is my phone using me? How is technology using and shaping me? And I want to be in charge of that with Jesus as my teacher. Okay, I just have two more. One, we need to take time to remember how God has been faithful in history. And there is so much in the world that we hear through public media that eliminates God and the amazing things that God is doing around the world. But it started with his decision to let Jesus come into history as a baby and to live his life, to die on the cross for us, and to be risen from the dead. That is a historical foundation for why we're even here. And we need to remember that and focus on that and read the Gospels to, to live in the Gospels and the Jesus story and know Jesus through the Gospels because they are historical documents. It happened. And he is at work today through the Holy Spirit in the church that he's launched. That's our opportunity. And then finally, 
to reflect on the reality that God has been so, so good in my life. And we sang that together. He's been so good. And there are times when we doubt that. And we're not really certain because life is really hard. But he is really good. And that's something that we need discipline and focus to keep that in our minds, that God is a good God, a faithful God, and he has conquered the grave. And because of his resurrection, there is nothing, nothing that can ultimately defeat you or separate you from his deep, deep love. There is such hope in that. And so I've been journaling, God. You've been really good. So uh, come on up. We're going um, to sing. And I, I want you to really sing. I want these words to just let them fill your mind. Because when they fill your mind, they'll fill your heart. And when they fill your heart it will begin to leak out into the person you are and how you live. So engage it. And then when you want, we'll go to the communion table and we will embody the crucifixion of Jesus. We will take that bread, which symbolically represents his body torn. Jesus' body was torn for you and for me. We take that body. And I know it's kind of cheesy because it's just little bread, Um, and we dip it in the juice, and it feels really awkward, but engage your mind. I am with Jesus at the Last Supper, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance. Engage your mind intentionally in what we're doing. And then take him in and, and, and taste the juice on your taste buds and chew the bread and swallow the bread. We take Jesus into us. Jesus, we we want you to be inside of us because we want the inside to change the outside. So God bless you, and uh, we'll sing together. Go ahead. We got the. I'm going to pray for this guy because this is the last time you're going to hear from him. Yeah. yeah, Until May, because we're going to let him go, and he and Cynthia are going to go think and renew their minds and their Mm -hmm. hearts and their bodies. We're going to pray for you, Bill, because this is a a three month. Uh, sabbatical that mm-hmm. um, you guys need. Yeah. And uh, we want to send you off. You know, you don't leave for two weeks, but uh, I'm up the next two weeks and right. then you're off and mm-hmm. uh, you'll be back in May. But we're just praying that this is just a powerful, powerful thank, thank time you, away, Bill. Thank you. Uh, I sense that you need it. Hey, and, you can uh, tell. <laughs> yeah, and you deserve it. And uh, we want to send you with confidence that uh, God's going to do a work in your life. Thank you. So um, don't you think? And this is the kind of message that um, we're going to think about. So, yeah, thanks, Matt. So let's, uh, let's pray for Bill and Cynthia. We're praying for healing, continued healing in the life of Cynthia and her body. And uh, Jesus, we just lift her up to you right now. It, it was so awesome to see her at the beach this morning and all bundled up. And um, uh, we just we continue just to pour, ask for the Holy Spirit to be poured over her heart and her life and her body and pray in the name of Jesus for complete and total healing.
We believe that. We've seen it, Lord. We've seen healings uh, over and over again in our body, and we're believing that. We're believing and standing in that. I'm praying, God, for your work. We pray that in Jesus' name. And so we pray for Bill as well. Pray that this would be a time of great rest and encouragement, uh, renewal. Just give it to him, Lord. Just give him that time off. I pray that he just feels so loved by and supported by this church, that he would um, go with confidence that he is um, renewing just a a spirit and a heart that loves you. And thank you for his example all these years. 40-plus years of ministry, of going way, way back, of just encouraging young people and high schoolers, including myself and my brother and so many others that are doing the work of ministry because of Bill. And um, you've used him in so many people's lives. And so today we honor you, Lord, and honor Bill and and send him off in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.